zoning, for you who have been along for the railroad the ride, the, the, the roller coaster ride, zoning uh, has been approved after a six-month wait. Monday, we are, it's hard to believe, we've been talking about this for a long time, we are scheduled to close in 12 days, that's October 14th. Incredible. And I want to just say, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the way you've given. Thank you for the way you've been faithful. Uh, many of you have already given to that end, and because you have given, we are going to be able to close. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being sacrificial. You've done it. Um, these are some of our most exciting times together as a church, kind of moving into this new space. So thank you. Whether you've given a large gift or a, a, a sacrificial gift, or whether you have just increased your giving over the last many months, many of you have done it different ways, thank you. I do want to reaffirm again and again, this project will take everybody being in on it. There's no way around that. If you haven't given to the project, I cannot express with enough urgency uh, that we need you. We need uh, your contribution, however God is directing you. That's the only thing we've ever asked of us as a group is the way God leads us, the way God instructs us. We just follow that, and that's the way it is personally. Right now, we have about 70% of what we need for the entire project. So uh, for completion, everyone on board, exercise faith. That means we stretch. Um, I want to do remind you this. You will be tempted to, many of you, maybe not all of you, but most of us, tempted to judge the effectiveness or the need of your gift in the midst of a $2.8 million project. It doesn't seem like it matters that much. I just want to tell you it does. It does. God's called us all together for a purpose. We all need to be there. You matter. Uh, do not judge your gift. When Jesus saw the woman throw two cents into the bucket, do you remember what he said? She gave more than everyone else combined. Why? Because it's an issue of faith, not quantity, right? It's about faith. Giving in God's economy is not comparative. It's relative to you. He's asking you and you alone to do what is faithful for you. And he's blessed us all, equipped us all to give at different levels, but we can all be the same level of faith, right? So the simple ask is this, as clear as I can be. I need 20 or so of you to give in that hundreds and five hundreds place. I need 20 of you to give in that thousand space. I need 20 of you to give in that tens and fifties space. If it's you, wherever you land, by faith, be a part of what God's doing. That's what I'm asking. Every dollar amount, it matters but it's the faith. It is the faith behind the giving that fuels God's movement. We're in the middle of a faith movement. That's where we want to live. If you're new and you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> I would love to tell you more about what's going on and you can contact me directly. Mike.Smith at vistacommunitychurch.org or any other uh, communication channels. I would love to sit with you and explain and allow you the opportunity to be a part of what's going on with us right now. It's very exciting. If you haven't given and you're ready to give, any of the giving channels that you use normally work. Just go to our website, click on give. Or you can go. There's a new tab called uh, Facility, uh, Northwest Facility. It's got all kinds of details. It's got plans in there and some different things you can look in. There's like a give link in there. It takes you to the same place. Remember this. Above all else. Um, maybe not above all else. Remember this. Please remember. I don't want something from you. 
I want something for you as a church, and we've got an opportunity here. Don't miss this moment. Now's the time. Let's pray real quickly, okay? Father God, we come to you as a church. God, we bow our heads together in gratefulness for what you've done in anticipation of what you're going to do. We come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask you for your blessing in our life. Would you confirm and affirm the path that we're on? We are your people. Our resources are your resources. Inspire us by your spirit to trust you through inexplicable generosity in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is my lovely wife, Tammy. Hey. Say hello to Tammy. Oh. We are in the... We are in the third week of a series that we do regularly, maybe annually, a relationship series where I really basically asked Tammy to bring so much of the practical stuff that she learns and is in the middle of in the world of counseling of hers. And I just say, just be practical, honey. Just give me all that. Give us all that stuff that we need to know. And I'll sit here and just... VI candy. Yeah, just peanut gallery. I'll just throw comments <laughs> in every now and then. Uh, uh, go after me. Oh, Thank awesome. you for being here. We hey, listen, it's, it is super exciting, all the things that are going on here. Just, I couldn't be more excited, including the call to give, because I'll be honest, there have been probably three times in our lives where we've been, including this one, where God has asked us to give to a degree that we've been like, well, I've been like, well, you know that doesn't work with the budget, God. Like, there's no way. The, there's no way the math will work. And he's like, trust me, trust me. And there's not been one time in those three times that God has not met our needs in ways that are inexplicable mm -hmm. when we've pressed to a degree that was significant. And it's just proven to me over and over again, you can't outgive God. And Proverbs 11:25 says, a generous man will prosper and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So try to prove God in that, right? Yep. Yeah, so. Okay, so we are at the last week of the relationship series, and the panel last week was awesome. I yeah, watched you. you. Yep. So thank you for the Pecks and the Irvins and the Knopfsingers. I always say that name wrong. Knopfsingers and Coopers and Mark and Josh. All y'all did such an amazing job of just presenting to us what it looks like to just love. But that's the series that we're in, Just Love. And it was summed up at the end of our uh, first message that we got, we, we had together at Galatians 5, 6. Galatians 5, 6 says, here it is, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so we've taken love, L-O-V-E, and just been like, what does that mean? It's more than just a feeling for sure, and we've talked about it, this particular context, as living outside the values of earth. That we're not going to be able to love the way Jesus wants us to love unless we're willing to live outside the values of earth. And so if you remember, I won't test you, but the first time we were together, we kind of came away with two things, right? How do we just love? Number one was like, don't take the bait. The societal bait towards negativity, societal bait of any form, the cultural pull towards sensationalism, the way in which our brains are even wired, if you remember, to go towards kind of the sensational and disturbing. Don't take that bait. Don't take the bait of what's easy, and especially all of these things of what's satanic, what's clearly has another force operating there. And then the second thing out of that first message was do the neural... N-E-U-R-A-L work, which is neurochemistry. God made our brains to be in such a way that we can fulfill Romans 12 too, which is do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do the neural work. So get yourself around scripture. Get yourself around truth. Live from your soul, 
which is your truest you, things like gratitude. Are you with me? So that's where we were. So where we're going to start today is the same place where we ended, is the same place for the banner for all of these things. And so we're going to look at Colossians 3 together. If you don't mind pulling out your Bible app or uh, your Bible, we won't, we're going to be here for a little bit, so pull it out together. But where I'm saying we're starting and where the whole series has been is here. Colossians 3, 14. You can see it on the screen. Above all things, put on love. Above all things, put on love. That's a powerful little statement. And you know, I think since we're going to be together, would you, would those of you who are in the room be willing to um, read this out loud with me together? If you're not, no big deal. We're going to read Colossians 3, 2 through 4, and then 12 through 14. So if you're willing, let's do it together. It'll also be on the screen. Here we go. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And down to verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with hearts of compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive any complaint you may have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. I mean, we could say amen and call it a Sunday right there, couldn't we? It's so good. It's so good. But there's a bit of a pattern that we can tease out here that I personally have found in many places in the Bible, and it's so compelling and exciting and life-giving. So see if you can follow me here. Follow with me here. So stay in the Colossians 3 realm. So you see in verse 2, it says, since you have been raised with Christ. What? That's amazing. What? What is that referring to? Like, okay, and it's, it's echoed in a verse you might have come across in Ephesians 2, verse 6. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Mm-hmm. How can that be? Because I see your tuchuses right here. And he says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. What is this? Well, on one level, it's like way too much for, to try to pack into a little relationship series because it has to do with the already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. But the reality is this. You know, we're souls, our truest us. We're souls. We're spirits. And there's a certain sense in which because of all that we have done and now we've said yes to Christ and now he communes with us and we are one with him, that there's a certain sense in which we've been raised with him. He, it's an exchanged life. So we are seated with Christ in the soul way in the heavenly realms. Galatians 2.20 talks about he's put his life in us. There's a reality. We've been raised with Christ, like literally. So what does that mean? That means we have things like eternal security, absolutely no condemnation, literally complete forgiveness for all sins. And you've been made completely righteous because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's like since you have all of those things, right. do this. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. You see that in verse two and three. It says it twice, set your heart on things above, and then it says set your mind on things above. You see that? So we've got this sense of like, since you've been raised with Christ, hey, have your focus 
There's that word again. Go heavenward to the things of Christ. Heavenward, so to speak. To the things of Christ. And then what happens? Then we see the sort of outworking of that in verses 12 through 14. It says to do what? Well, then you just have it come out with things like you're clothing yourself with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You're bearing with each other. You're forgiving each other. So do you see this pattern? And by the way, it's the same as echoed in Romans 12 too, last week. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Transform the renewing of your mind. There's a certain sense in which this pattern exists. I'll put it on the screen and we'll kind of look at it together. Setting your you, mind on things above, sorry. Yeah. It, it's, it's maybe another way to put it is everything starts there. There's things for us to do. Tammy's gonna get to that. But whatever we are called to do, whatever we have the capacity to do, all begins with these truths about Christ in our lives. It starts there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start with us. There's a lot for us to do, but it doesn't start there. Set your mind first here. So let's put the pattern on the screen and see if we can lean it together. You belong to God. So your energy and your longings will come from there, so to speak, heaven, Jesus. So get those values and pull them to earth, not the other way around. So are you tracking? We are, in a sense, to get our energy and values and fuel from being seated with Christ and expel that energy into our earthly realm. We are to kind of, in a sense, inhale the atmosphere of heaven and exhale it here on the earth. It goes the other way. With your, you think about your prayers. The prayers typically go the other way, right? The world experience that is lackluster for us or the space, that, or the things that we don't have, right? We take that and then we go to God and say, can you do something about this stuff down here rather than the other way around, right? Yeah, so like he's saying, when we try to get our security from the temporal, we get immersed in what's here and then we take it to God. Would you fix this relationship? Yeah. Would you change the right. circumstance? Would you make my job better? Would you make my neighbor move? Like all the things, like we do this here and take it here instead of wait a minute. His plan is for us to be like this. Imbue me with strength and perspective and hope and true wisdom that is yours, God, and make me then transformative in my circumstances and relationships, not transformed by my circumstances and relationships. Right. Can you see that progression? And so the exhaling, right? We inhale the values of Jesus in heaven. We spend time being steeped and changed. And then, you know, you become like that which you are around. You spend time with Jesus. Then it's going to be easier for you to be transformative in your relationships. And so the things that we are to exhale, you see them in Colossians. The exhaling looks like clothe, bear, forgive, Mm -hmm. put on, Mm -hmm. let, expressing. Do you hear how much action there is there? Yeah. So what is this telling us? This is telling us, here's our next point. Godly relationships will be from the choices we make. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about living outside the values of earth. Just love. Totally, always going to involve our choices. So the important ordering point is that we're always choosing constantly. So the first step is recognizing how many choices we make. We're constantly choosing. Philosophical debates about free will notwithstanding, every action we take that isn't a pure reactive instinct is a choice. Mm-hmm. Even avoiding making a choice at all is a choice. You've chosen the status quo. 
So the reason it's so important to recognize you're making choices is that it gives you power. If you feel powerless today, you have lost the reality of how much choicefulness you have. If you don't feel good about your life or relationships, you can choose to change. So, in the words of the great Albus Dumbledore, who should credit Paul, by the way, with this. Correct. He said, it is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Many people believe the opposite of Dumbledore's wisdom and instead have a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset is the belief that your intelligence, your talents, and your abilities are set in stone. You believe that you're kind of born with a particular set of skills and that you can't change them. If you have a growth mindset, you believe that with effort, perseverance, and drive, you can develop your natural qualities. Growth mindset is the belief that we can become better through effort and strategy. So Carol Dweck is the researcher who put this fixed versus a growth mindset strategy together, and she built it on, guess what, theory? The theory of neuroplasticity. We are back to how God made the body and the brain, back to the first message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the ability of the brain to make new connections into adulthood, even after it's been damaged. So this supports the idea that we can adopt a growth mindset at any time of life. So I believe you're engaging in this relationship series because you have a growth mindset. You might want to turn and tell your neighbor, good job having a growth mindset. So the, the power of choice can't be underestimated. That's where we are. You have that choice. Understand the Christian theology says that, and, and we believe, you have that choice, again, from where we start, and it's with God. He is the one that frees us and enables us to change, right? It begins there. Um, most of these quotes and things like that don't have that as part of the equation. We do. We understand that God and setting our mind on things above and accepting that we are seated at the right hand of God the Father, that he has changed us and given us the capacity to make choices and that those choices can change us and will change us in Christ. That, that is, again, the construct of the whole thing. Don't, don't lose sight of that when we focus on the part that's practical for us. Right. That makes sense? It's awesome. Yeah. Always keep with the Jesus context because yes. he's the one. Yeah. He's the everything. It's the only way we change. Catherine Pulsifer said, we have complete control over our own attitude. We are the ones who decide how we feel, how we look at things, how we react. Which is, by the way, why we can't ever say to somebody, you make me feel... Yeah, which blew my mind when she said that to me earlier this week. I was like, that's not true, honey. People make me feel a certain way all the time. And then she was, you used an example about us, be honest. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was really, it was really insightful for me to realize, and the research shows, that you, you, your, our feelings, my feelings, come from my thoughts. Like That, that my thinking is like goes right back. It's like Paul is right. Mm -hmm. You need your mind mm -hmm. renewed mm -hmm. to have a different experience in this life. This is really good. Preach. Yeah. In other words, psychologically healthy people ultimately take responsibility for their own emotions. They understand and accept that their emotions are caused by their own thinking. It is your thinking that drives your feeling. And if you change your thinking, you can change your feeling. Roy Bennett said, attitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Giving is a choice. Respect is a choice. Whatever choice you make, makes you. Mm. And philosophers uh, all through the ages have 
all emphasize this. Jean-Paul Sartre says, we are our choices. Albert Camus said, life is the sum of all your choices. Perhaps the most powerful of these leading thinkers for me is Viktor Frankl. He was a prisoner in Auschwitz. And when he was in the concentration camps and all his family had been killed and all his friends, he was next in line, literally. Having everything taken away, he said, there's one thing that cannot be taken away. Look at it with me on the screen. It says, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And he goes on, and there were always choices to make every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom. The context of this man sharing what he shared, mm -hmm. everything had been taken away from him, and he said, I still have the power to choose what I think about. Mm -hmm. So there's an entire theoretical framework created by Dr. William Glasser, which emphasizes an individual's control over his or her own feelings and actions. It teaches the concept that all behavior is chosen. So it's called Glasser choice theory. And it states this, catch this, that all human behavior is driven by the desire to satisfy five basic human needs. Here they are. The need to be loved and accepted. The need to be powerful. The need to be free. The need to have fun the need to survive. You can hear the scriptural interpretations of those, I'm sure. Well, you hear God's promises for what he's provided us in those spaces, which is what frees us up to choose in the first place. We have those things in Christ, right? They have been given, and now we can operate out of them. This theory argues that everything we do is to fulfill one or more of these basic five needs. As we increase self-control, we can make better choices. This theory also recommends for our consumption here today, seven connecting relationship habits to use in all relationships. Here they are. These include supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, and negotiating differences. Can you hear it in these again, the echo of Colossians 3? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Once again, researchers are finding what's been in the Bible all along. Can I just real quick tell you that Glasser's theory also talks about seven disconnecting habits? I'll just list them for you. And it says these break down relationships because they are used to control people and ultimately lead to misunderstandings and resentment. They include criticizing, blaming, complaining, Nagging, threatening, punishing, or rewarding to control. Hmm. <clears throat> That's interesting, huh? That's convicting. <laughs> convicting, right. And just for us of this theory, I thought it would be interesting to point out two other things that I find fascinating from his theory. He says, conflict arises because we can only control our own behavior. <laughs> right? And the second states that all long-lasting psychological problems are relationship problems. Whew, that's for sure. 
All right, so while that may be a little too much theory for a Sunday morning for some people, the pragmatic power of choice is all throughout the Bible. Therefore, awareness of your ability to choose is paramount. So to pay, to tap into the power of choice, you've got to pay attention to your choices. So right now, I'm just going to share a list of choices that I do share pretty regularly with most groups that I can talk to about relationships. Right now, we all have these choices in relationship in our lives, all of us, to isolate or be in community, to be insecure or secure, to judge or to release someone to God, to be defensively distant or to boldly reach out, to forgive or become embittered, to have faith or have fear, to give grace or hold grudges, to personalize or just pray, to be anxious or to trust, to run to friends, or to run to Jesus, to join in gossip, or to redirect. We all know how to do that. Look at that fly on the wall. We all know how to do that. To complain, or be thankful, to hold anger, or show mercy, to reach out first, or to wait for others. Maslow taught that each moment presents you with a choice. You can either step forward into growth or backward into safety. I'm praying that this series excites you to challenge yourself and certain ways of thinking and acting that you've had, which will bring about relational change, more security in Jesus, and taking risks for the sake of love as you go against the cultural grain. Mm. That's my prayer. So how do you just live? How do you live outside the values of earth, right? That's what we're talking about. How do you just love? The first one we talked about right now is what? Exercise the power of choice. So what I want to do under all of those choices we just listed, there is one that we got to pull out and go, this is ginormous. Yes, that's right. That's a scientific word. Ginormous. Ginormous. And it's the choice to forgive. It's the very lifeblood of Jesus himself. Forgiving a person is not a compelling emotion. Mm. You're never going to feel like forgiving someone. You offer it with your own free will. It's an unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. They don't deserve it. Because you have the right to hold something over somebody's head. It's laying down the right you have to hold something over somebody's head. Well, remember, you said you were gonna, and you didn't. No, don't forget. I don't trust you because you did that. It's laying down the right we have to hold something over somebody's head. You, your spouse, your family members, those in your circle, your friends, we are going to offend and forgive countless times in our lives. Mm -hmm. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you excuse or forget the offense. That's ridiculous. You can never forget. You're thoughtful and you choose to acknowledge the insult, whatever, forgive it and move on with your life. Because forgiveness is doing what? It is giving it back to the Lord who says, you, can't, you cannot carry unforgiveness inside you. It is too dangerous for you, my child. You can trust me. I have got you. I have got this. Vengeance is mine. You can give it to me. I promise. I see, Elroy. I know how much it hurts. I know what it costs you. I know nobody else knows. I got you. I got you. Give it to me. Trust me. It's about our trust in the Lord. It's a perfect example of your bigger point that everything starts mm-hmm. with God, right? Why do we forgive? Because... He has 
first forgive us. Right? Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example of how our choices come from the seed of heaven and what we have in him. Colossians 3.13, we read it together. It said, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There Did you, you and I deserve it? Yeah. Come on. Right? So does Mike deserve when I f- choose to forgive him? Absolutely. <laughs> because the Lord forgave me. Uh, okay. Okay. It helps to know your Bible in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of an argument. <laughs> oh, goodness. There's a quote that I heard by Lewis Smedes, and he said, to, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. Have you ever noticed how when we are holding on to something, mm-hmm. the other person's all skipped to my loo over there doing just fine. Yeah. We're the ones that are yeah. living it up, right? Like just, it's eating us up. You are too important to the kingdom of God to carry around offense in your heart. Do you understand? Yeah. Child of the most high God. You are too important to be caught up in this small-minded bait of unforgiveness and bitterness. Mm-hmm. He's got too many, many more bigger things. Yeah, many more the, bigger things. It blocks for you. the renewal of your mind. It's it Paul, it's Pauline yeah. in its nature. Yeah. So we we talked about the power of choice and pulled out and highlighted the incredible choice to forgive that God asks us to do every day. Mm-hmm. If you I literally set a timer and be like, okay, who do I need to forgive today? Do it. Forgive someone every day, at least. This is the very lifeblood of Jesus. You will see things happening in you that you are surprised at, even after many years of walking with Jesus, if you're willing to practice forgiveness on the daily. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I want to do, and I want to make sure that we know, and it's, it's kind of at the end of this series, and it's this, that to live just love, to live outside the values of earth, means we have to do something, and it's this, to fully recognize the ongoing assault to your faith, and therefore your relationships. Perhaps you know immediately what this statement is about. It's interesting, even last, like, we had, it was embedded in the first message a bit, and even last week, without coordination, Kirk brought it up on the panel. It's, we have to recognize the ongoing assault to our faith. So if you understand what that's about, cool. If you don't, we gotta take a minute. We have to take a minute. So can we take a minute? Mm-hmm. Okay. In case you don't, let's take a quick look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. Let's look at it together. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for this helpful picture. Yeah. Because what do you see? What do you run smack into first in that verse? Yeah, yeah, that there's a small g God. Wait, what? That's not the big G God. It's not the one we've been talking to and talking from and talking about this whole time. But given the name God of this age, okay, wait, what? God of when? There's a, there's a small G God of when? When? Say it right. Thank you. Right now. Mm-hmm. There's a small G God of right now when you and I live right now. Working to do what? What do we see the mechanism is in this verse? Working to? To blind minds? To keep them from what? Seeing Jesus. 
Satan's worshiping always, God. Yeah, Satan's always attacking step one, that we are set apart. We are seated with Christ. We're seated with the right hand of God. It's the devil is always working to destroy that faith, that step one, because you take that away and the rest of what we're called to do can't be done. There so is a small G God of this age, the time we live. Have you ever thought about that? That there is an faith. influence against your faith. So maybe some of you, it's like really good news this morning, even though it's not really directly relationship serious. It's like, wait a minute. That's why I'm struggling so hard. Yeah. Yes, it's not because you have a weak faith. It's not because you're a terrible Christian. It's not because you, you know, you're not, you're not pursuing God enough. It's because there is going to be, from the day until, from now until the day we see him face to face, there is going to be an active push, opposition, pushing against your security of faith. So that's why it's so hard. It's so hard, isn't it? If we all admit it, we are like, faith is so hard and relationships are so much harder. Why? Because there's an active force against them that's against the goodness of God in this space. Yeah. There's an anti-God force that Jesus told us, as Satan, Mike already mentioned that, and in John 8, this force is called the father of lies. We can see his lying nature in the Garden of Eden, those of you know the story where he twisted truth, the very first act against humanity was to twist truth, form of lying, and the same thing when he was tempting Jesus in the various places in their conversations, lying, twisting truth, right? You aren't, you aren't who you, you think you are, you are not, a son of God. You're not a daughter of the king. You are not seated at the right hand. You have failed. You're miserable. You, you are not, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the myth. That's all Satan has. A lie, about, lies. a lie about your identity. He's called the ru- ruler of this world in John 12, 41 by Jesus himself. Isn't that unbelievable to think about? We live in a time where there is a force against our faith and therefore this force is at work in your relationships. Can I get a witness? Mm-hmm. Right? So this force is wanting to keep you away from light and love and sacrifice and grace and gratitude, all the things that are godly. Through twisted truth, cultural messages about wrong relational values, direct assaults to our relationships, evil is looking to do uh, what with every relationship we have. What does evil want to do? What's every good military commander do? Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer, right? And let me just say one thing about this in the realm of our spirit onslaught. So in the spiritual realm, right? The God of this age, in the spiritual realm, even in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, Ephesians 2, 6, 12, it says, excuse me, says, for our battle is not against, do any of you know it? Flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and forces of darkness in the unseen spiritual places. Straight up, the word of God through Paul tells us, anytime you are caught like in between some person and like all your energy is going towards a person and why did they and why are they and how can they and oh, how could they and all of that, we're fighting the wrong battle. Because our truest battle is in the place of our souls, place of our spirits against this force of hell That's looking right. to destroy our relationships. Step Jesus up. said it in John 10, 10. I've come that they may have life and life to the full, but a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a thief looking to steal, kill, and destroy the glory of God in your relationships. That is why they are so hard. Yep. This is so freeing for so many of us because sometimes what we have to do instead of having a thing between us is like there's a thing between us. We have to go, wait a minute, hang on, and we have to join forces against that thing. There you go. Get on the same side of the table. Get on the same side of the table because we are on the same side of the table. Evil's constantly trying to make you believe that you're on the other side of the table. And is that not what the small G God of this age is doing in our world right now? Yeah. 
It's like in yeah. spades. Yeah. In spades. <laughs> Write that down. In spades. So our most important fighting in any relationship, my friends, is going to be with the powers of hell, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy the good things of God in your relationship. So let's pull together today what we've been looking at. Employing the power of choice in our relationships will be a huge agent of change. One of the most powerful choices we can make is to be one of the most regular and ongoing ones, which is forgiveness. We've also had the, we also have to choose to see the right enemy when the inevitable relational challenges, conflicts, and disappointments come. Amen? Yep. Yep. Amen. And we must choose then to not let that enemy's scheme prevail. I'll never forget one of the first books that I read in the sort of Christian counseling realm in the, I think, 1980s, <laughs> was Love is a Choice, right? That's what we're talking about today. We can, say, we can say for sure today that just love to live outside the values of earth will involve a ton of choices. So look at the ones we've talked about this whole series. To just love will involve choices of, number one, choosing to rewire neural pathways that have been formed in agreement with culture and rewire them to God's ways instead. So remember, we talked about culture says focus on the outward. We're going to imagine the heart and focus on the inward. Culture says to magnify the negative. We're going to enlarge the positive. Culture says to imagine the worst. We're going to assume the best. And remember, we talked about choosing to focus on what is, not on what is not. Number two choice to live outside the values of earth, choosing to be grateful. Developing a heart of thankfulness through regular thought and action choices of gratitude. That's hashtag tell them now. Have you done that since our first message? Have you told a couple people what they mean to you? Because we don't want to have a chance to do that when they are with Jesus and we're standing up celebrating their life when they're gone from here. Number three, choosing to have a growth mindset instead of a fixed one. That's what we've been talking about today. Number four, choosing to forgive. Number five, choosing to recognize the hellish assault to ourselves and relationships and fight that battle. Not taking the bait to think it's anything else. All right, so at this point, I'm just, we're just throwing out all the choices God gives us and he, he directs us to make these choices that they will be life and breath uh, of himself to us in them. So what passage do we need to, uh, to come together uh, at the end of this series on? 1 Corinthians 13. Mm. It's here. It's here. Let's look at it together. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, Always hopes, always perseveres. Keep this on the screen so we can look at the 10 choices we have. 10 great choices we can make to just love, to be patient, to show kindness. Don't envy, to just choose not to envy. When you hear the bait, feel the bait, just say no. To not be haughty, to not brag, to deal with your pride, precious. To not be rude or selfish. Child of God, to not be easily angered. And goodness, to not keep score. Should we have a, like, a meeting here and be like, hi, my name's Sammy and I'm a scorekeeper? <laughs> right? How many of us have a filing cabinet on the people in our life? We got to trash the filing cabinet in Jesus' name and for his glory. 
right? From this passage also, it doesn't rejoice at others' expense. We have the choice to be protective and trustful. We have the choice to go the extra mile. So we end where we began. Above all things, put on love. Even in 1 Corinthians 13, earlier in that passage, do you know what it says? It says it doesn't matter if we can do amazing and excellent things. If we don't have love, they're useless. So here we are. What is just love for you? Where's God taking you through this? How about with a spouse who seems to not see you and meet your needs? What's just love mean to you? With a friend who kind of does everything on their own terms. What's God moving in you to just love through? With a coworker who seems bent on making everyone's life miserable. What's just love mean there? How about when the over-talker traps me in the corner? <laughs> just love, what's it mean? How about when my parent is doing the thing that drives me nuts? What's it mean to just love? When my friend group is being insensitive, what's it mean to just love? Just love equals forgiveness. Just love equals stop taking the bait of hell towards anger, bitterness, division, and resentment. Just love equals expressing gratitude. Just love equals refusing to complain, gossip, and compare. Just love equals focusing on the good in another child of God, seeing people through God's eyes. Just love, by the way, for those of you who have little alarms going off, does not mean you indulge bad behavior or sin. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye. It doesn't mean that you don't have appropriate boundaries or exercise self-care. That's just not the message we're talking about today. I find we tend to be more self-protective than not. It means over frustration, right? You choose patience. It means over disgust. You choose kindness. Over offense, you give grace. It means you mind your own sin, not the sin of others. It means over judgment, you remember the cross paid for your sin too, you see. Jesus sees what choices you make in relationships. He's so pleased when you choose his ways and let him flow through you. It means you realize how you're not <laughs> uber easy to be friends with. <laughs> and you see the people in your life that love you as gifts to you. It means not taking people for granted. It means assuming the best. It means not taking so many things personally. And it means being more concerned to please Jesus than to please yourself. So what has God spoken to you today? So worship team, come on back up. And I want to remind you that you have these little Ebenezers to remind you to just love. So as you leave, make sure you get yours. I love somebody sent me a picture of how they put it on their notebook and wrote it. And I just love it where God can use these to prompt us to these very things that he's had us looking at. And these very things he's wanted mm -hmm. to hide in your heart. This will be a prompter for that. Mm -hmm. so, so Adam, what's it mean to just love for you? Not to put you on the spot or anything. Not to put you on the spot. 
My microphone wasn't on, so I think that was God telling you not to put me on. Well, I'd say forgiveness is the harder one for me. Yeah, yeah. And it's because I don't forgive myself very, very readily. There we readily. go, wow. To accept his forgiveness. To accept forgiveness is a, a step of faith that breeds faith. It's awesome. It's a seed that's planted that spills out of its own boundaries mm-hmm. and leads to forgiveness of others. That's good. Huge. James, what is it for you to just love? Yes, I'm putting him on the spot. Uh, I would say I, I recognize uh, love through perseverance. Perseverance. That, that phrase, that, that, that word persevere, um, it's a challenge and it's also a, a comfort as well. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. It's a choice. There's Justin. A choice. I think baseline, uh, choosing to believe the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good place to start. That's good. Honey, how about you? Well, first, thank you. It's yeah. been great. Yeah. We appreciate you very much for taking time to do this. Thank you very much. I was wondering if you were um, hey. busy for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about this yesterday, I was thinking about uh, Prince William and Prince Harry. Honestly, that's what I was thinking about when she was practicing. I was like, yeah, Prince Harry, mm-hmm. or Prince William, knows his future is on that throne. And he lives his life, I don't know these guys very well, very different than Prince Harry, whose destiny is different. The one who is going to end up on the throne looks more and more like he's going to be on the throne, behaves, yeah. chooses. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? That stays with me. So I, my, the practical for me is to stay in your first point yeah. of who I am. Seated with Christ. Yes. And then I feel like your two points, the most practical, are just to be grateful all the time and to forgive all the time. Awesome. And just knowing that those things are reshaping my mind, literally. Literally. It's really cool. So thank you, Tammy. Um, Probably no better place to end than where we begin and start, which is by raising our voices and our hands and our bodies. Let's stand and remember what's true about God and that it all starts with Him.